Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're sitting down with Brian Carnathan of thedigitalpicture.com. And this was kind of a fortuitous meeting, right? We were sitting in Alaska. Well, I was in Alaska. You showed up with a mutual friend of ours, Dave Wood. And uh, I found out what you did, and I thought you'd be a really interesting guest on the on the podcast. So here we are, and we're just going to sit down and talk about a little bit about what you do. I found it really interesting. So, And I didn't want to learn too much about it because I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. So in a nutshell, actually before we do that, What's been the coolest thing that you've experienced in Alaska on this particular trip? It has to be photographing a huge bull moose from close distance. Did you ever think you would be able to get at that distance from that type of a bull moose? Did you think that it was possible? No, I figured it would kill me if I got that close, but so that was exciting. And I haven't been able to review the pictures too closely, but I think that I got some good ones. They should be worth the trip for sure. How did Dave uh, set this trip up? Did he oversell it or undersell it? I met Dave on a workshop I was running last year in Colorado, Rocky Mountain National Park, and he invited me up. The time was overlapping when I would be in Rocky Mountain National Park this year, and he he kept urging me, and uh, then he invited me to join him uh, in Denali. He had pulled a road lottery permit, And so that was all it took to change my flight from Colorado to home to to Colorado to Anchorage. And so we had a great time experiencing that, that park and then back to Anchorage, chasing the moose around in the mountains local to here. And so I would say it was more work than I expected, but I think the rewards were there. It was definitely worth coming. I'd do it again. It definitely separates the serious photographers from the casual drive around, pull a lens out of your car and shoot a picture of an elk photographer, right? We, we figure we did somewhere in the 20 to 25 mile range in the last two days. Right. So we're dragging a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you said Dave had a Denali road permit, which is pretty cool, right? Absolutely. So for your highlight to be a moose picture taken around Anchorage over that trip into Denali, you must not have seen too much wildlife, but it's still spectacular. No matter how you look at it, going into Denali, not on a bus, driving in a car is pretty cool. We drove approximately 250 miles on the the 90 plus mile road. So we got the most out of that option, that opportunity. And Denali was plainly visible all day and was definitely catching our eye. Every few miles, we had a new foreground to work with, and uh, so both were great. I have done Denali before, so it, it wasn't as new as the moose were, and perhaps not as dangerous. <laughs> so have you seen the mountain before? Yes. Oh, okay. Because it's always... You always see the base of it, but to see the right. top is... And to see it from Wonder Lake is... I, I have a hard time explaining to people, even when you show them a picture, there's just like, it's so hard to encapsulate how big it actually is until you're right there. Yes, Wonder Lake is awesome. It was it was glass this week, too. Oh, was it? Yes. So that's pretty cool. Yes. 
but wildlife it was kind of we saw the we saw most of the big animals however most were very far away I don't care when you go, you have days where it's really good and you have days where it's just that way. I think my favorite wildlife photos from that part of the trip will be the environmental portraits where you have a bear or a moose in a distant foreground with the big mountains behind it, snow-capped mountains. Right. And so we got a couple of those that will be nice. So you're, I guess, you, you run this website, which we're going to talk about at length in a little bit, but... Your favorite thing to photograph is wildlife, or do you do other stuff? I would say wildlife, landscape, and sports are my favorite, perhaps because of the challenges involved with, with them or, or what I perceive as, as being challenging and the, the reward for making it all work or for everything all working, working together. So uh, those are my, my preferences, but I do all genres, um, commercial portraits, Etc. And and as you said, we'll get into it. But often it depends on the the gear I'm evaluating. If it's a portrait lens, I will usually um, try to find some portraits to shoot with it. Or I think a lot of people that are out photographing, or that are photographers, you know, generally photograph everything. At least you start out that way, and then you slowly hone into what you like. So sports, wildlife, and landscapes. Wildlife and sports in my mind, are super similar because you don't know. You can't predict it, and it doesn't happen again. You have to get it. And I I tell people all the time that I became a better sports photographer by starting out in wildlife because you just have to capture that moment. You can't tell that moose, hey, that was a really awesome pose, and I missed it. Can you do that again? You kind of have to be Johnny on the spot. You have to be ready. You have to have all your settings. You have to have... um you have to know your camera inside and out so you can make any quick adjustments and still get that split second um, of peak action. Right. I feel like I can photograph any sport, even if I don't know the sport. I I mean, you have to know something, which helps with wildlife too, right? You have to know a little bit about what you're shooting, but it's all about just capturing that moment. And if you can determine what that moment is and you can predict it and you can be Johnny on the spot, Oftentimes you're successful, and I think it made me so much better at shooting sports starting out with wildlife. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. All right, so that's Alaska. That's Denali. That's pretty cool little experience. And you've been here, what, five days, four days, six days? Came in on Saturday. So and today's, what, Friday? Yep. So that's a pretty good little trip. You got a lot done. Yes. And you were in Rocky before that. I was in Rocky for nine days, I think. So you've been away from home for a while. Yes. Wow. That's kind of fun, though. It was a great trip. It was a great experience. And it's time to get home because I have a lot of work to do now. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of work, let's get into your uh, website. And this is a website that you own, right? And you Correct. started. Correct. So and it's thedigitalpicture.com. Correct. And I asked you a little bit about this about the website this morning because I didn't totally understand what it was. And I didn't want to go there because I didn't, I I probably should have done it to do research, but I also didn't want to go there because I thought I'd make a better podcast if I was just like this real inquisitive interviewer and you can tell me all all about it. But what I learned about it this morning is pretty cool. So I want to dig into that a little bit more. Start out by just give us what your description of what the website is. When you meet someone and they don't know about it, how do you describe it? We review camera gear as the the simple phrase, but our goal is to help people get better pictures 
by choosing the right gear for their needs. So we are primarily evaluating Canon and Sony cameras and lenses, and we, we bring it in, we test it, we do some standard testing, I do some field testing, and we create a review that hopefully makes a person feel like they've used the gear themselves or they have a full understanding so that as they make a, a purchase decision, they, they know whether or not that particular item is for them, whether that lens is going to be ideal for moose photography in Anchorage or well, the, the outskirts of Anchorage, I should say, the, or whether it's a good portrait lens, is it sharp, wide open? And we provide the standardized testing um, ends up in a tool. It's a database-driven tool that allows you to select a lens, a focal length, and an aperture and see actual crops from across the frame of, of the performance of that, that lens on a particular camera. We're usually, usually using a, a very high-resolution camera, such as the 5DSR. The R5 will become one of the standards. Uh, we've done the, the A7R3 is our standard currently for the Sony. So you can bring up without, without, reload, without loading anything in Photoshop or another tool. You can go to the website, you can bring up one lens, and you can select a comparison lens. And using either a mouse over or a, a button on the site, you can uh, toggle back and forth between the two to compare. You know, is the new RF 100 to 500 sharper than the EF 100 to 400 L2? That is also two good lenses, but you can see the differences and decide the aperture you're going to use, if the aperture you're going to use is better on one than the other or so it it's a, a selection of tools um, flares tested distortion vignetting and um, also image sharpness using a, an iso an enhanced iso chart and those are available for anyone to create their own comparisons. And then the review often includes some comparisons or alternatives to whatever model is being reviewed at the time. For everybody listening, you're hearing a lawnmower in the background. And normally we don't have that happen, but just bear with us. They'll just be here for a minute and, and carry on. But we don't want to stop this podcast because I got tons of questions. All right. So I'm asked all the time. People want to know. What camera should I buy? What lens should I buy? It's the, Sounds R, to it's me. the R5. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, think, I, I think I heard someone say that the other day. <laughs> yeah, I was going to, we're, we're going to have to cover it a little bit, but man, I've talked about it so much. I don't want to dig too much into it, but it is a pretty cool camera. Is this a camera that, or is this a website that a beginner can use or listening to you describe it? To me, it's almost like you need to have a little bit of an understanding about cameras before you dig into this website it's like if somebody calls aunt josephine calls and says hey i want to buy a digital camera i'm not sending aunt josephine to this website because you need to have a little bit of a knowledge of what's going on right it's helpful it's probably a better question to ask someone that's not as deeply embedded but for sure the the serious amateur or the pro will will find themselves at home uh, hopefully the beginner can wade through it and and get out of it what they need to. We also take direct questions. If, if 
Aunt Josephine wants to know which camera to buy to photograph her kids playing soccer, and we can help her with that. Okay, good, because I get that question. I can't tell you. I mean, everybody that's not a photographer that knows I'm a photographer and says, hey, what should I buy? I, and I just, there's so much out there. I just, I am always at a loss. I always, you know, my number one question is what's your budget? Because that's the easiest way to just narrow it down. But after that, I don't, I'm not much help because I don't play with all those cameras in all those different budget ranges. So if there's a resource, that's the perfect thing to send. Yes, we can help them with that. And the the budget issue is an upfront, um, it's a fact that needs to be determined if what are they willing to spend to get what the pictures that they want right. for the subject they want. And, and sports is a tough one because you quickly get into expensive cameras and lenses to, to be able to capture it. Right, because you need the telephoto and you need a faster piece of glass. So you got, you know, that right there is going to send the budget. Faster frame rate, the, the right. better AF system. Okay, before we go too far down that road, you said earlier it was mostly Canon and Sony. Do you do the other cameras too? So will you do Olympus or Nikon or whoever? We started out with Canon and that is our primary brand that we focus on. So if there's something new coming out with Canon's brand on it, we're probably working on that as a priority. Uh, not too long ago, a year, two years ago, perhaps we took on Sony and uh, have most of Sony's gear covered, just a maybe one or two lenses and a couple of their um, cameras not covered and that's full frame e-mount cameras and fe lenses so we we have a lot of test results up for nikon lenses and i didn't mention before but we have um, standard product images on the site they're taken at the same distance and same angles and um, reduced in size to the same by the same amount so you can you can display one lens and two other lenses beside it to visually see how they look different, how the size varies. But getting back to that, Nikon, we've got a lot of standard test results up. Only a couple, of, a few cameras um, have full reviews for them. The, the D850, the Z7, and the Z6 have full reviews. But So, and those are going to be the ones for the serious amateur or the pro, that's what they're going to use anyway. So it's going to work. Very good cameras. I used... Um, um, I believe it was two years ago I used Nikon for most of the year shooting wildlife. Last year I shot it with Sony, and this year it's with Canon. Oh, so that's cool. To familiarize myself with the, the systems and be able to compare back and forth and to understand it all. Well, and I tell people all the time, years ago I would use, I would definitely choose a camera brand based off of what it could do. Now, I think you could pick up a Sony, you could pick up a Canon, you could pick up a Nikon, and I think you're gonna be happy with no matter what. The technology's there, right? The cameras we have today are, they blow your mind, they're amazing, and the image quality we're getting now would make photographers drool 20 years ago. Right, yeah. The capabilities as well. Right, it's just mind-blowing. As far as going with you said something earlier where you would compare a uh, 100 to 500 RF to a 100 to 400 EF. So those are both Canon lenses. Correct. Can you compare a 100 to 400 Sony to a 100 to 400 Canon too? Yes, you can. Keeping in mind that there's a different processing pipeline creating the, the final image. We try to match them, but yes, you can do the comparison. 
it takes a slight amount of visualization to realize that you have a different camera behind it, but it gives you a definite idea. If, if a lens is soft in the corner or it doesn't have a flat plane of sharp focus, you'll see it. Wow, I didn't, this is a cool resource to have, right? I hope so. It's, um, we are here, for, here to serve the photography community. It's, it's, it's intended to help people, and that's what it's all about. I had no idea that there was, I mean, I'm sure, I guess it makes sense. I mean, there's, if someone's willing to put in the time like you have and develop that resource, it's like unlimited amounts of possibilities. And it solves all your questions when you're sitting down to try to make those budgeting decisions to say, okay, this is what I'm shooting and this is the performance I want. This is what it is. How did you come up with the idea to, to create this? When I started out, the website was originally designed to sell stock photos back in the day when stock photos were bringing in good money. And uh, I started answering the same questions over and over again about camera gear. At the same time, I was asking my own questions, which were the best lenses, uh, which lenses worked well for wildlife photography, which were best for landscape, wide angle landscape. And I wanted to know myself, so I created this resource that, um, number one, answered all of the questions I was answering in one place. So there was somewhere to go to get the same answer. I wouldn't have to retype it, or I could simply refer them to this page on the site. And at the same time, I developed the standard testing for lenses and, and cameras, really, so that I could compare and decide which I wanted or... Two months later, I may forget how a lens performed and I need to go back and, and check. So this resource it was developed so that it worked well for me, but could also work well for others. And being a shared resource and the internet made that easy. My best guess is we have over 400 lenses tested in, the, in our tools right now. So does that go back? Is that an archival list too? So you could, you know, like you say, you're going to buy a used lens on from Craigslist or, you know, one of these websites. Can you go look at a version one, 100 to 400 and compare it to a version two, that kind of thing? Yes. So, yes. So it's like a huge, I mean, it's good for no matter what you're going to buy, it's going to work. As long as you don't go back beyond where I started. But most of the EF series lenses are there for the, on the Canon side. There are a couple of the very old ones that aren't there. I don't think we have a 50F10 tested. Right. But that's such a specialty. There's not many people buying that. And we do test with extenders and teleconverters also. Really? So if you want to see how the new RF100 to 500 works with a 1.4X behind it or the 2X behind it, we can show you that. Is that an RF? I, this shows you how much I know about the RF stuff. Is it one, is that an RF, you can't use an EF extender or can you? You cannot use an EF extender with an RF lens. So these are RF extenders. Really? Yes. And how do they perform? Because, so just so you know, I would never ever in my whole life have ever used a 2X because I was always like, it just didn't ever give me the performance and I'd rather not. I'd rather get a good picture further away than get one that was like, eh, I'm not that happy with it. But I was always a fan of the 1.4 1. extender. And then the 200 to 400 that has 1.4 built in, I love it. How do the new RF extenders perform both in the 1.4 and the 2X based off of your tests? 
we have one lens from Canon so far that one high quality lens to base all of our understanding on at this point. That's the RF 100 to 500. And based on that, the 1.4X is really good. You'll like it. Uh, there, there's a slight image quality degradation with it. The hit with the 2X is still high. You probably will be marginal. Those who are especially picky will be questionably happy with the results. It's a 2X and it's probably as good as any I've, I've used, but it's still a 2X. And I, most, I mostly use the lens without the teleconverter, but when I have to, the 1.4X is what I'll grab unless I'm shooting uh, like a solar eclipse or the, Sasquatch. the moon Sasquatch, yes, with the, with the 2X. And I got creative. Recently, I, I put a, a 2X behind the 600F4, the EF 600F4, and then routed the center out of a, a Velo EF to RF adapter and put an RF 2X extender behind it. So it gave me a 2400 millimeter lens, two 2X teleconverters behind it. And how'd that work? Not very well. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good experiment. The R5 focused amazingly well with it. The image quality was marginal at best. <laughs> right. So we were talking with uh, Charles Glatzer. He's an explorer, Canon Explorer of Light. He's probably, I didn't ask him, but I would assume he's had these cameras ahead of schedule just to play with them before that went out to the masses. And he was talking about getting one of these adapters. So I'm a big fan of the adapters that have the drop in neutral density because I shoot so much video, I want the neutral density. He was using that same thing and he was like, well, why do I need to have a clear filter? Why can't I just put a cap on it just to cover up the hole and shoot without it? Apparently that, whatever it is, millimeter of glass that's in there factors into the whole configuration. So he wasn't getting totally sharp, but you have to have a filter in there. So I guess my whole point is, is if you're routering out or modifying an extender and putting to it, you know, it's probably just not all lining up correctly, right? Part of it? That is possible. And you are right. The, the, the clear filter in the drop-in filter adapter is part of the optical formula. The drop-in filter adapter is slightly longer than the standard adapter. So you're going to want to, I don't know, I guess it's a cost thing, right? And it's if you're going to shoot video, you're going to want ND. If you don't shoot video, then you don't need the ND. You just use a straight-up adapter. And what's the cost difference? I think the drop-in filter adapter is, what, 400 bucks, 399 and the regular adapter is 99 bucks. So if you're just a still person, then you just need the regular adapter. Really, the biggest drawback to the drop-in filter adapter is that you can't use the RF lenses on it. Right. Yeah, because I was kind of bummed out. I have no desire to go buy an RF lens now. You know, the way I got around it before, so let's say I was shooting, and we beat this dead horse all the time, but I'll say it one more time. If I, when I was using the 1DX Mark II, or I was using the 5D or whatever, any of those, I would use my 200 to 400 and I had the drop-ins, which is awesome because then I can throw a neutral density in there or go back to clear and I'm not messing with the matte box on the front of my lens or I'm not messing with filters on the front. So it was pretty convenient. Now with this new system, I don't want an RF lens because I like being able to drop in the filters and not mess with the screw on filter on the end. So for me, it's like, I don't really, until they come out with an RF lens that is similar to a 200 to 400 or 
a 504 or a 604 or 4028, whatever it is, I don't see myself going to the RF. Now, I do have a wide-angle RF, and I really like it. So, and I guess if you don't need ND, then you're fine. Which, like this morning when we were all out shooting, I just used, the light was such where I could get to the, the settings that I needed to shoot quality video. You mean it was dim? Yeah. It was dim. <laughs> I'm actually, everybody looks at me and they're like, you're a nut job. Because I want that dim, I want that nasty, low light, because it works great for video. But anybody shooting stills is like, no, I want the shutter speed. I want this, I just want this stuff. So, huh, well that is, that is so awesome to know that you can compare all that stuff right on that site and be able to pull out all that information with just clicking around. So I'm, I'm going to have to get on it, and I should have done it before we got on the website just to check the usability, but it's got to be pretty pretty sweet as far as navigation and all that. If you have suggestions, I welcome them. Right. But it's it should be found to be easy. And you were telling me this morning, you it's not out of the box. This is, you coded the whole site, right? I'm an IT guy by by training, so yes, this is all hand-coded, database backgrounds and running on a cloud server. And so what else should people know about this? Like we were talking this morning, is there a blog or is there stuff like that? You said you have Facebook and Twitter and you'll put out newsy type things with that. Is that? Yes, we have, we have a news feed on the site. It, it's, we have a news page, but it also create the database that creates the page also creates a news feed that goes out to Facebook and Twitter we post news, we post deals, we post um, new articles on the site. Uh, we let people know when pre-orders are available or when something hard to get is in stock. We, um, of course, post reviews and let people know when, when those are available. We let people know when um, major lens test results are available online. So following our news page on the site itself, um, if someone wants to utilize the RSS feed, that is available, and Facebook and Twitter. How do you find out about all these deals? Are you just constantly having to peruse all this stuff out there? Or do, do you find that these uh, retailers are like getting, I can't imagine they're calling you and saying, hey, we're going to have this deal. Well, the retailers the retailers want airtime. They, they want to be highlighted. Highlighted, yes. They they welcome anything we can share, but I filter through the their deals and pick out cherry pick the ones that I think are special. Uh, they just seem to drop in my lap sometimes. What's a good example of that that someone would be? I mean, I guess the R five would have been right because it was a pre order. It was uh, there's no deals on it, of course, but it was more of an availability thing. Right. Did you do stuff with that too? Canon had announced when the announcement was going to be, and leading into that, we did have some links available to the retailers. The pre-orders weren't available yet, but uh, I was recommending that people pre-order immediately and ask questions later because I foresaw this camera being, the R5 and R6 being hard to get. Right. So those who pre-ordered immediately probably have their cameras by now. I would think so. I've sold so many of the R5s just but because I'm a huge fan and then uh, I work with the shop, a particular shop, and those guys have been really good at helping me 
help other people get fulfill their orders. I don't know how they're doing it, but we're we're doing pretty good so far. The R5 and the R6, do you test the R6 too on your site? Yes. Um, Canon had made those available a couple of weeks before they hit the retail stores. So you that's what I was going to ask you. Do you get access to some of this gear from Sony and from Canon to do your testing so that you don't have cuz if if you had to bankroll all that, you you know, first of all, you would need a storage shed to put all this glass and all these cameras, but do they make that stuff available to you for testing? Long ago, everything was bankrolled, everything was purchased, and um, today, relationships have been established with Canon and Sony, and I can get products for short-term testing, right. yeah, a couple of weeks, up to maybe three or four weeks at most which is fine that gives you plenty of time to do it and you know Usually, you don't yes you can only use one camera at a time anyways right so it's not like you need to own everything but they've got to want that coverage for the for the gear that i will make use of my my core kit i do purchase that and it, it's retail so i have a canon kit and a sony kit since you are familiar with and use all of this stuff and you're shooting stuff that our audience shoots, what is your core Canon kit right now? I'm here with a pair of R5s, Canon R5s, and it, I also have a Sony a7R4 along. I have the the new 12 to 24 millimeter f2.8 FE lens along for it, so I'm evaluating it. And I also have the FE 24 millimeter f1.4 lens along for Milky Way photos. and but otherwise, it's a Canon kit that's here. Okay, so everything you just said was Sony. I'm not familiar with all these Sony terms. So FE is Sony. Full-frame Sony mirrorless. So what was that? That was Sony A7R4. Correct. That's their 60-some megapixel right. full-frame. And what were the two lenses? The 12-24 to f2.8 ultra-wide angle, using it for Milky Way mm-hmm. primarily and some landscapes. And what was the other one? And the... The FE24 F1.4, fantastic Milky Way lens. Okay, so that's all. That's pretty cool. All right, so you brought that up for basically landscape and nighttime. Correct. And then, and how's the low light performance on the A7R4 when you're doing that kind of stuff? It's very good. Yeah. yeah. It's very good. What's the limit on the ISO that you'll use for that sort of stuff? Whatever it takes. Really? <laughs> but 6400 is for... For Milky Way photography, I don't like to go above 6400, and 3200 is better. The f1.4 lens makes that doable. Achievable. Yes. So, And that's probably a pretty spendy lens, right? Very. Yeah? It is about three grand. But if you enjoy doing it and you want good pictures... And I get to borrow it. <laughs> and you get to borrow it. Okay, so tell us what you brought on the Canon side. On the Canon side, I have a pair of R5s, one with a battery grip. I have the RF 15 to 35 millimeter f2.8 lens. I have the RF 24 to 70 millimeter f2.8 lens. I have the RF 100 to 500 millimeter lens and the EF 600 f4 LIS3 along. Comparing the RF 100 to 500, too bad we can't compare exactly, but Let's say you're shooting RF at 500 and the EF at 600. What's the difference? Just You can come very close to that comparison on the website because right. the 100% crops 
um, from across the frame are available. So you can select the EF 100 to 400 plus the 1.4X and compare it to the RF 100 to 500 at 500 millimeter. And what you'll find is that both are phenomenal lenses and they both are great. And it probably, the difference in image quality is probably of low importance in that decision factor, in the, in the decision making process between those two lenses. The biggest decision I've heard from buddies that are out there using that stuff, one in particular, Ray, one of our buddies, he went out and bought the 100 to 500 because weight. He saves a pound, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're doing, like you guys did, what'd you say, 20, 25 miles this last couple of days? It, a pound makes a difference over that time, right? So it, that's probably your biggest savings. I don't know that if you print a 20 or 40 by 60 from either one of those, you're not going to, nobody's going to be able to tell the difference, right? Probably not. It's not, it's not a big factor. Having 500 millimeter built in is a big factor. Being able to zoom out at 100 millimeter and take in the big landscape with an animal and then zoom in and get a close portrait at the, without dropping an extender in between, it's like you're 200 to 400, you throw a switch and, right. and it's there. So that's a, that's a big factor. It, the, the 100 to 500 weighs about the same as the 100 to 400 and the camera is lighter the camera body itself, the R5. Well, I'm having travel brain now. I'd have to check the weights to make sure that statement was correct. Well, it's not that big a deal, but it did seem, I think my buddy was using, or Ray was using a, one, a 5D Mark IV and a 100-400, and now he's got the R5, 100-500, and it was a pound lighter. He said, I don't know for a fact. That is about right. I post. I had a I posted an art, a short article to the website recently showing a picture of the 5DSR on the 100 to 400 beside an R5 on the 100 to 500. And they're about the same length. The R5 viewfinder stands out a bit more, which is actually an advantage when you're using it. It gives you more nose clearance, but the, the overall length is almost identical to the back of the camera. Plus you have the extra 100 millimeter built in. So we also, I didn't mention it, but we have all of the camera and lens specifications on the site. So you can pull up um, two, two models and compare, scroll down through comparing the various um, specifications. And we, we do a lot of measurements on the lenses. We, we weigh it, we put a calipers on it and, and take the dimensions. We test minimum focal, focus distance. Um, we also give you the distance to our test chart our test chart is a specific size, and we fine-tune the distance that a focal length is being tested very carefully, and then we use a laser to measure the distance that it is at. So we can, we can compare one 500-millimeter lens to another and get an idea of whether it's really that focal length or maybe one is slightly shorter, such as you'll find in a zoom lens occasionally. Really? So you might have like a 490 and not a 500? <laughs> Perhaps. Really? Huh. Well, and I guess it doesn't. I mean, you're not compared. I mean, most people don't care, right? Long is long. Long is long, right? I love the photography. I love shooting wildlife. And ultimately, it's all about the image. But I do find myself becoming a gear nerd at times. And it sounds like your job is pretty freaking cool like to be able to 
get this gear in and do all those tests and look at all the specs and you pretty much and now that I have your card I have your personal phone number so you're going to be hearing from me a lot I'll be you know rather than having to do the research myself I'll just call you and say hey uh, what do you think about this that it seems like a pretty fun thing is it I'm sure you go through time parts of the year where it's just crazy right where you just you can't get it all done Absolutely right. When I'm traveling, like right now, I've got a backlog and I feel bad. I feel like I'm letting people down because I'm not at the computer for eight, 10 hours a day and, and keeping up on things. But the, the in the field work is really important. It, it keeps me sharp. It, it helps me experience what someone else would be experiencing so I can um, be educated and, and talk. Right. <laughs> we so I can I can relate very well to someone who's doing something similar, and it I love everything I do. I especially love helping people. That it takes me sixty to eighty hours a week to do this is the only downside, really. And I think it's important to be out there doing it too, because you can be this gear nut and you can be this person that encapsulates all this information in one place and makes a huge resource, but. If you're not out there doing what we do and experiencing what we experience, I mean, I think that adds a whole nother flavor that is very helpful. And, and you've been able to do that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you look at relevance. There's a, there are a lot of things you can, um, you can evaluate a lens for, but they're not necessarily relevant in the field and in the, in the uses that the lens is designed for. All right. What else? Is there anything else about the website? Because I got a couple other questions off of things. I mean, maybe it's all done through your website, too. We'll find out. But is there anything else specific to the website that you think people should know? Because everybody's got to go check this out. I, I am. It'll be my resource now, my go-to for when I want to compare this stuff. Because I, I buy stuff all the time where, you know, for a particular job. or And, and you always have those questions where, eh, is this going to do it? Or is that sharp enough? Or is it really sharp at 400 or is it really sharp at the wide at the wide uh, spot at five six, or is it more like f eight? Or yes, and and the tools will will show you that very clearly. And uh, anything else, uh, use our links to make your purchases. That is how we are supported. Uh, we are not supported by the manufacturers, other than getting questions answered or temporary loaner gear here and there the, the manufacturers are not involved it's all independent cool so we can just drive traffic that way or drive traffic to your web website and hopefully they drive traffic to absolutely it costs no extra to buy it through us and through the retailers that we represent and and they are very trusted retailers you said earlier you do workshops too i do some not a lot but um, a few a year yeah three, four. And how do people find out about those? Through my news page. Okay. Where they can request to be on my mailing list. I, I have a small insider's mailing list that I, I will let those people know ahead of time or give them first opportunity to join me. So it'd be awesome to be out on a workshop with you because you're going to go to a cool location like you and Dave went to Rocky Mountain National Park last year. Um, I don't know where all you were at this year, but I heard you talking to someone else this morning. You were talking about doing a boat trip for bears at some point. So I'm assuming that was a workshop. Maybe it wasn't. It didn't go through this fall, but that was going to be one. Okay. Correct. Uh, I'll be in Acadia in October. I was there last year also. Uh, I've been in Shenandoah National Park chasing the whitetails. 
um, a number of times, one of my favorite places. I think I overheard you talking to somebody too. You keep them pretty small too. It's not like you have 14 people going, right? Correct. I don't think I've had more than three join me. Okay. Maybe four at the most. I like to be able to fit in the same SUV. Uh, we don't have to keep vehicles together. I can pull over and everyone else can hop out and be getting their picture. We can talk. We can have camaraderie. We can share stories and everyone learns. So, yes, small groups. I think that's the benefit, too, because if you're going out with someone like you that is such a huge resource, that's pretty cool to be able to just say, hey, what do you think about this lens? And you're going to know right away. I mean, obviously, you can look, look on the website, but actually having somebody actually use it. There are a lot of gear conversations in the car. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I would love it. I would love to be able to just spend a week with you just talking about all these different scenarios. We'll have to do that. Yeah. Um, another thing about small workshops, when you're chasing wildlife, it's hard to do in a crowd. And same with landscape photography. Usually a prime location has room for a small number of photographers. So if you're gathering around a waterfall, you'll be waiting in line to get the right spot if, if the crowd's too large. Those types of workshops are so much better. How does it work? Do you take care of everything once the person gets to your location or do they set up all the travel, the overnights, all that? You're just there to provide the instruction and the workshop? It depends on the workshop. In Rocky Mountain National Park, we were renting a house. So uh, everyone got there and then I, I provided transportation after that. Half the benefit of a workshop is just getting to a good location and having a little bit of instruction. That works for a lot of people. But if you can get on a workshop that actually has someone that has some equipment knowledge, plus gets them in a good location, that's the win-win situation, right? I've been calling them instructional photo tours. So the, the tour aspect is there. We'll go somewhere nice, somewhere that I would want to go to, usually somewhere I've been before. And uh, so that, that would be the tour part. And then the instructional part is that I'm, I'm there to help them get it done, help them to come home with good pictures. For people to find out, all, we got a lot of stuff here. So what's the, how do people find you on Facebook, Twitter, the website, Instagram, workshops, kind of give us the rundown. I'll put links in the show notes so anybody that wants to go find this stuff without writing it all down, just come to the our website and you'll find it. But what is it? If they, the best way to find us is to go to thedigitalpicture.com and there are hyphens between the words, but if you don't type them, it will take you there anyway. And um, we have links to our Facebook and Twitter accounts from there. They can look for me personally, Brian Carnathan, B-R-Y-A-N-C-A-R-N-A-T-H-A-N. I'm on Instagram, Flickr, Facebook. I can't think of any other links or anything that we want to put up there. What we'll do is we'll take some information from you or get some pictures from you, either from workshops or just so people can see on our site just some real quick snapshots and stuff, but you'll definitely want to go to the website to actually really dig into what you got. That is where the the heart of what we do is, yes. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. It's been great getting to know you. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always... Thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. 
Nothing's gonna get in our way We will be the biggest band in time 